Welcome to Two Cents FC. I'm your host, Amobi Okugo, with my guy, L. Each week, we'll be discussing topics from around the soccer world, and I'll be giving my thoughts from the perspective of a pro soccer player. Uh, this week, I'm really happy we got a special guest, uh, my big bro, mentor, uh, someone I truly admire, someone that's been a great friend, uh, Marisa Du, former pro, World Cup, Olympic soccer player, TV soccer analysis, entrepreneur, uh, father, um, he's just doing great things all around. So happy to have him on. Uh, Maurice, how you doing? I'm good, man. You, you making me feel, <laughs> making me feel good about myself with that description <laughs> right there. One thing I'm most prideful about and, and happiest about, I guess would be, um, you know, being a father. That's, that one's been a game changer. It's been a learning curve, but one that I've thoroughly enjoyed and every day is, is a new challenge, but also, it's a blessing. So that's the silver lining of this COVID. I get to spend as much time as possible with my son. No, I respect him. He just had a birthday. So happy birthday to him. Yeah, he turned one, man. I'll tell you what, everyone was telling me beforehand, like this, everything goes by so fast to really appreciate every moment and cherish every moment. And, I, you know, at the same time, I was like, yeah, all right, I get it, but it's going to drag on. And then this year's flown by. So, um, I mean, I, I just, I'm looking back now just thinking like, damn, how quickly everything has happened, but it's been a blessing. No, respect. So uh, right off the bat, are like, you going to play, you going to force them to play soccer? <laughs> how do you not, right? Like <laughs> it's, soccer is, is, it's in my blood. It's all I know. And, you know, I, I, I try to say that I'm not going to be that, that parent who's pushing in that direction. I want to, and this is part of it's true. Like I do want him to be exposed to as much as possible to have every opportunity to, if he falls in love with basketball or something else, hey, I, all I can do is support him. But, yeah, there's definitely going to be soccer balls all around him at all times. So there's going to be that influence for sure. And hopefully he chooses the right sport. No, respect. So, like, talk about your soccer journey because uh, you have a unique journey, you know, especially now um, the way U.S. soccer is developing, you know, young players. You know, you did the youth soccer route. You didn't really do ODP. You didn't really do youth national teams. You killed it in college. Then you went to MLS. And then from there, I feel like everyone heard about you. You was on a FIFA cover and all that. So uh, give us a rundown. Well, yeah, you, you touched on quite a bit of it. I mean, I, even before that, I come from um, two parents, Nigerian parents, you know, just like you, Niger blood, you know. So <laughs> soccer soccer has been around me since as long as I can remember. And I started playing, I think, organized like around four years old and uh, fell in love with the game at a young age. My dad coached. He was always a coach on one of my teams, but then also coached like his own teams or whatever. And so how I kind of gravitated towards watching soccer is we that growing up, there weren't that many games on TV and the games that were on TV. We didn't always have all the channels. So um, one of his one of his players used to record record games on VHS. I don't even know if you know what VHS is or Moby. You kind of young, you know, I'm just saying this that might be before your time, but he used to record games on VHSs, give them to my dad. He'd bring them home and we'd watch those games. And most of those games were Arsenal games. So that's how I kind of fell in love with Arsenal. Uh, But yeah, so I played club soccer and a little bit of ODP. And, you know, my extent with the youth national team was just U14. I got called into U14 camp and then that was it after that. And, my route was a little bit different. I had players on my team, my club teams who were getting called into residency. And I remember at times I was frustrated, like, you know, what the hell is going on? Like, I'm, yeah. I'm as good as these kids, if not better than them. I train with them on every day. I play with them on the weekend. So we are constantly measuring ourselves against each other. And I know where I stack, I stack against them. So why are they getting these opportunities? And I'm not, uh, and it could have gone one or two ways. I could have been depressed and blamed the world and just felt bad for myself. But instead I was like, you know what? 
cool. They're there right now, but I'm going to get there. And some of the best advice, like, advice I got when I was young was that, you know, everyone's path isn't the same. We might all be chasing the same dream, but your path might be a straight shot. Mine might be to fall a few times, get back up and keep going or, you know, go through different obstacles, whatever it is. As long as your end goal stays your end goal and you focus on getting there, you're going to get there. So my route was to go through college. And, you know, I was fortunate to to go th- to go that route because it helped me develop in different ways. I needed to mature as a person and grow up and get used to being away from home and, and get used to being uncomfortable. Um, and so when I chose my college, I chose Maryland over UCLA. Uh, yeah, why? That reason. For being a Cali kid from SoCal, I still like I still have a hard time understanding. That's the reason. That's <laughs> the reason. I wanted to play pro. And in my mind, I was like, yeah, Cali was, to be honest, UCLA was super attractive because my senior year, my dad had just had a stroke too. So being close to home would have ticked all the boxes, right? Mm-hmm. But you know, in the back of my mind, I was like, man, I want to play pro. And the quicker I get used to being on my own and mature and grow up and be independent, it'll serve me better for the future because I'm not going to have the luxury of choosing which team I go and play for. So, and, and my trip to Maryland was good too. Like Sasha did it. <laughs> Sasha did a good job of recruiting, yeah. man. He came and like wooed my mom and like, so everything, it worked out the way it was supposed to work out. So I went to Maryland for two and a half seasons and then that moment comes when you have to make a decision. And for me, uh, it, it was actually a little bit more difficult than I thought it was going to be. Growing up, I always wanted to play. And I was like, if the chance comes, it's a no-brainer. But growing up in the family that I grew up in, both parents were teachers. And the importance of education was stressed at such a young age. Plus, the Nigerian parents, you know, yeah. so you know how that goes. Uh, so when the time came, it was actually a difficult decision. But Ultimately, I knew what I wanted to do. Um, you know, my parents knew what I wanted to do. Coaches knew what I wanted to do, and they all supported me in making that decision. And then from there, I go to Toronto, and I go into a situation where it's a brand-new team. I'm one of the first players. It's actually a blessing because it, it allowed me to get a lot of playing time. You know, I played pretty much every game. Manager Mo Johnson trusted me. Uh, one of the first conversations we had, actually the very first conversation we had when I got drafted, we were staying in the same hotel, um, and he – he calls my room like, hey, come down. Uh-huh. I want to talk to you. And, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't even know, 2021 at that point. First time interacting with the coach, except for at the draft. I'm like, damn, okay, what do I do? Do I, do I order a drink? Do I, like, how do I navigate this conversation? But it was actually really good. We just, you know, he just, he was straightforward with me. He asked me, like, what my goals and aspirations were, not only in Toronto, but just in this sport in general. And I told him straight up, like, hey, look. I'm excited to be here in Toronto and I want to accomplish some some big things here. But ultimately, I want to go to Europe. That's been my dream as a kid. And that's what I, that's what this is for. This is a stepping stone for me. This is how I'm viewing it. And he was straightforward with me like, look, I appreciate that. You give me a good couple of years here and, you know, I'll do everything in my power to help that. If a chance, if an opportunity comes up, you know, I won't stop it from happening. I'll, I'll you know, I support you. And so to his word, um, when the opportunity came to go to Rangers, they put the bid in. He didn't stop it from happening. He, he was uh, a big component to why it actually went through. And so uh, that was the next move. From there, I went to Rangers, was fortunate to, to play in some big games there, got to realize some childhood dreams, playing in Champions League, playing in Europa League, winning trophies, winning cups. So, you know, that kind of ticked all those boxes and living that, that European dream where you, you walk into full stadiums or – you know, you're walking, you're, you're living in a culture that really lives, breathes this, this game, you know, what yeah. you get to experience, I guess, 
similarly to what NBA players or NFL guys experience here, you know, where you're, you're known as soon as you walk on the street and you're adored by fans, you're hated by other fans. Uh, just being in that kind of environment where people truly live and breathe according to, to what you do and how, and, and how you operate was, it was a beautiful thing for me to, to experience that. And, um, like I said, I was fortunate to win some trophies and experience uh, Champions League and all that. And then from there, Stoke wasn't a good wasn't a good ride there. Uh, didn't work out the way that I had envisioned it. I always wanted to go to the Premier League, but my move there wasn't didn't pan out the way that I had hoped it would. Uh, from there, I went on loan to Bursaspor, which was for me was a chance to kind of refocus and just get back to the game. I needed to get back playing so I can get back into the national team. Um, coming off injuries at Stoke as well. So all those things considered, it was a good move for me because I was just, I had a chance to just really focus on, on playing, getting back yeah. to my best and my best level and getting back into the national team. And then from there, um, returned to Stoke, still not in the picture. And then the opportunity comes to, to go back to MLS. And at the time it was, it was a toss up, right? Because in my mind, I was like, am I abandoning my, my European adventure, or is this just like a stopping, a, a stepping stone? Is this like a little roadblock or how do I view this? But ultimately, you know, I had a coach, I had a, a conversation. Jurgen was a coach of the national team at that point and had a conversation with him about, you know, how does this impact my status? Yada, yada, yada. And it was a positive conversation. He was like, look, Mo, you're, you just need to get back to playing consistently. Um, you going back to MLS and to Philly, You'll be, uh, you know, assuming a leadership position, which is important as well. So I took all those things into account. And for that point in my career, it was the right move and came back to Philly. That's when I met you. Yeah. Uh, we got to experience some, some good years there. And from that, unfortunately, things came to an end for me due to injuries. And then here I am now, TV side of things. Yeah, so can you talk about that, like, in terms of, like, you know, going from Toronto to Europe, you know, talk about the discipline it takes and, like, the fortitude to, like, to fight fight through injuries, to fight through transfer windows, to fight through different coaches um, and, like, reaching a new level, you know, national team, uh, Champions League, Europa League, because um, a lot of young players, they want to play in Europe. They see guys like you that have done it. They see guys now like Weston and Pulisic, and they're like, okay, I want to play Champions League, but it takes a lot to do that. It does. It takes a lot. It takes a little bit of luck. It takes a little bit of, um, you know, timing. Timing is key in a lot of these situations because, and when I say timing, I mean, are you ready when that moment comes, right? It's, it's, it's easy to sit here and, and hope and wish for that moment to come, but when that moment comes, is it going to pass you by or are you prepared for it? And I mean that in the, in the sense of, when you go out on the pitch, you know, that moment could literally be any day. So if you're not willing to leave it all on the pitch every single day, the trainings leading up to that, the trainings you're doing on your own to prepare yourself for your team environments, for your, for your individual games, um, having the discipline that you were talking about, having the discipline to, and I'm not saying that that means you weed out all fun. I think that's impossible to say, you, you know, you want to be able to enjoy the, the journey as much as possible as well. So, but just having the discipline to know, to pick and choose your moments, everything done in moderation, you know, and, and just knowing who you are as a person, right? Being who, knowing who you are, being authentic to who you are. I think a lot of that is important and sometimes is overlooked. Uh, but, but I think going back to what I said earlier about having that vision, right? Having that vision of what you want your end goal to be 
how you get there is all up to you. It's, uh, it's part of it's up to you. Um, sometimes there you'll see decisions go your way. Sometimes decisions won't go your way, but how do you react to that? How do you respond and how do you prepare yourself for the next obstacle? And you were talking about the transition from, from Toronto to Europe. It was difficult, right? Because my year and a half in Toronto, I, I had done enough to win the trust of my teammates, establish myself into that team to become a big part of that team to, you know, earn respect and plaudits from around the league and, and to break into the national team ultimately. So you make that move to Europe now, I make that move to Rangers and you come, I'm coming on, coming into that situation thing like, okay, you know, like, guys going to respect me. I'm a, not even, not even so much that I'm that guy, but like, you know, people are going to respect me. I'm, I'm part of the national team, I, you know, rookie of the year in Toronto and whatever else, whatever other accolades you come in with. But for me, and sometimes that's true, sometimes it does hold weight depending on the player and where you're coming from, what kind of plot you have. For me, it was, I was starting from the bottom again, you know, start, I had to, I had to work my way back into the team. It didn't happen overnight. And part of that can be frustrating. I was fortunate that when I went there, Bees was there, DeMarcus Beasley was there. And so he was my big, my little big bro, uh, (laughs) and, and he helped me to keep a level head both on and off the pitch explain help me to understand the culture of Europe and and how things work and so I had to bide my time for a little bit you know the first I remember the first few games just sitting there whether being in the squad not being in the squad being on the bench not even being a part of that so but then when my moment came I remember uh, I literally was I was going to be on the bench and then a player got hurt like in warm-up so it was just a quick like hey time to go I was like, oh, okay, well, that all right, let's let's go time. And that was the first, that was my first game for a start. Um, and from then, I thought, like, I came out of the game, I think, like, 60, 70th minute, and I thought, like, you know, hey, pretty good showing for myself. I'm going to be starting the rest of the season. Let's go. Nah, didn't happen that way. <laughs> didn't happen that way at all. Um, but I think just being able to – it's a constant goal. It's Every single day is a constant – show and prove, right? Like mm-hmm. what you did yesterday doesn't hold weight. You got to show up again today and prove yourself. And I think that's an incredible environment to be in because it challenges you. It challenges the guys around you. You guys are constantly pushing each other and elevating your game. And and you got to earn every bit of game time, every bit of respect that you get. No, nah, respect. Is there any game that you would like want to replay or like uh, one player that you were like, yo, this guy is next level? I know we got you got to play with me, but like someone else, like <laughs> player that I play with or against, with or against. I mean, against is easy. That's that's messy, bro. Like that, it's it's just different. Like the man, people dribble. This man just runs and the ball follows him. You know, it's not fair what he does. And I, I think I remember we played against them in I think in Jersey with the national team, and one of the like telling moments in that game course he's he balled stood out in the game like whatever but one of the telling moments for me in that game was uh I don't remember how old he must have been he was younger at that time right maybe like mm-hmm. early 20s and he played the ball to Cambiasso Cambiasso picks his head up sprays a I don't know 35 year 35 yard ball across the pitch switches a point of attack perfect play not to Messi Messi won the one too he won the ball right back and, and he turns and, like, yells at Cambiasso. And I'm thinking, like, okay, he's Cambiasso's about to send this dude. Like, I get it, you're messy, but, like, I'm, you're Cambiasso. <laughs> My man was, like, 
hands up like okay 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 i get it like yeah at that point i was like yeah he's the chosen one like <laughs> he's that man right there is the anointed one like uh but, but I, playing against him it's honestly it's it's fun it's challenging because you're playing against for me the best player ever that's that's yeah. the goat there's no conversation for me but just his ability on the ball his his center of gravity the things that he sees that not none of us see the things that he can do that none of us can even think of yeah. doing uh it's it's like fifa but even some of the things he does i can't even do on fifa and you know i'm nice at fifa no nah, respect yeah you are nice not even, no cap it's crazy like to hear stories about messi because like when people tell these stories it's like you can see them light up and that's how you know like he's one of the best ones um i know we got some fan questions so El, you want to take one and then i'll take one or what yeah we can do that right. um so some questions from some of our followers on social media so jake asks um how did your time at rangers shape the rest of your career is there anything you saw or experienced there that should or should not be implemented in the U.S. system. Is there anything there that shouldn't that should or shouldn't be? Yeah, just in the U.S. system. Like, yeah, playing in Europe versus playing in the U.S. Yeah. Um, so how did my time at Rangers shape everything? I think it, it helped me grow up. It helped me mature. Um, for for a lot of my career, you know, I was riding highs, where being one of the better players on the team straight away and playing every game and those were my expectations. I was going to play every single game. So going there initially was kind of humbling, like, okay, all right, this, I got to take a step back and do little things to show that I deserve to be in the team and, and be prepared for my moment. So I think those things help. One of the things that I really liked about, about Rangers was, was the setup of the whole culture of the whole club. Um, the way it was structured was, you know, everyone was kind of under one roof where the first team is there, the, the, the second, the reserve team, the U19s, and it trickles all the way down. Now everyone trained at different times, and I think you're seeing that implemented across the country in some in some different, a quite across quite a few clubs now, where it's kind of all under one roof. And I think the beauty of that is that you know when you're a kid, the person that you aspire to be like is within arm's reach, right? You can literally come in early and go watch them train, see what that player does at training, see what that player does before training, see what they do after training, see what they do in the gym, you know, see, you get to see all that firsthand as opposed to it being from afar, you know, and, and I think that part of it, when you talk about inspiring the next generation, you would, that inspiration right there for me anyway, I think is sometimes more powerful than just going to watch these players on the, on the weekend and see what they do in the game. Like seeing that part of it is dope for sure. But when you get to see that player train and see what their habits are like, how they interact with their teammates, how they challenge their teammates, you know, you get to see what gives them that edge, what makes them better than the rest, because you're seeing what they do off the field, what their habits are like. Are, is he the last one to leave? Is he taking 20, 30 other, 20, 30 free kicks because he wants to perfect set pieces? Is he making other players stay behind because he wants to whip and crosses because he needs to improve on that? So I think that part of it helps young players to, to recognize that it's not all about just a, a team training and then go play on the weekends. There's so much more that goes into it to perfecting your craft and getting to that next level. And I think that helps them to develop good habits at a young age. Um, you know, your coaches always tell you like, Oh, you need to stay and do this and do that when you're a young player. And sometimes you're just like, you, you get big headed at times and you're just, you have to, you need to be humbled. But I think seeing that firsthand, it, it takes away the necessity for the coaches to have to tell you that because you see your favorite player doing that straight away. And you're like, well, I want to be like him. So 
if that's what it takes, well, I'm going to do that. So I think little things like that, those, I, sometimes I'm not sure if, if clubs or people recognize the importance and the value in having that. Um, and then also having everyone under one, under one roof is important because, I mean, there were so many times where the day of training or during training, a player might get hurt with the first team and you need, you still need bodies. You still need numbers and boom, you go to the field across the way and you have a, a reserve player, a U19 come and train with the first team. And for them, that's, you know, that's, that's a big deal. They get, a, they get a chance to train with the first team. And at times it can be daunting eyes wide open, but at the same time, maybe this is a player who felt like he should be there already. So now he gets that chance to go and show himself in that environment and, and, and prove himself. So I think part of that goes a long way to developing a culture that's that's the same across the board. When you're trying to establish, you know, consistency from first team all the way down to U12, U13, whatever that looks like, part of that is having everyone under one roof because it, it forces the players to recognize the necessity for it as well as the coaches to to really instill that in the players. No, respect. Uh, next question from Ringo. How has the transition from player to analyst changed your mindset or views of the game? Oh, man. So uh, when you're a, <laughs> one of the biggest thing that for me anyway was was I know a lot of players and now I'm going to be talking about. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. And so and so navigating that, navigating that, that your responsibility, your loyalty now shifts from the players to the fan. So as a new analyst, I'm a couple years in, couple years in now. Um, it's important to build that loyalty and that respect and that credibility from the fans. So you have to be honest with the fans. So and so if I'm talking about a Moby and a Moby has a poor game, the reality is I need to talk about it. I can't shy away. <laughs> I can't shy away from that. And I, you know, I, I think I came in at first and was thinking, how do I navigate that? How do I? you know, I'm close with a lot of these players still. How do I talk about them without? And then I was like, you know what? I just thought back to my playing career. And early on, of course, you might be hypersensitive and, and you know, you think the world's against you. You come off the field thinking like, oh, I had, I'm, a, I'm the best. And you have all these yes men around you telling like, yeah, it's not you. It's the coach is bad. The players around you are bad. And But at a certain point, everyone gets to the stage where they recognize, like, look, when I walk up the pitch, if I can look my teammates in the face and I can look myself in the mirror and, and be honest with myself, then, you know, that's all that it takes. And when I got to that point, if I had a bad game, I walked up the pitch. I knew I had a bad game. I don't, it is what it is. I, I'm, I'm moving on to the next one, but I can recognize that. The only times that I ever felt any kind of annoyance with the media at that point was if I ever felt like it was a personal attack. So my approach now being on the opposite side of it is the same thing. I'm just going to, I'm going to keep it all the way buck about what's happening on the pitch. And I feel like former teammates, players, whatever, they're going to respect that because they understand that that's part and parcel of being an athlete. And I'm never, I'm not, I'm not here to attack anyone's personal life because what they do in their personal life is that's them. Um, yeah. I'm never going to say that a movie had a bad game because he was whatever, whatever he's doing it. You know, that's not my business. So as long as I keep it, um, keep it strictly about the, about the, what's happening on the pitch, then I feel like I, I tick all the boxes in terms of establishing that credibility with the fan base, but then also being true to the player too. Respect. So when you talk to some players, dude, are they like kind of reserved sometimes now? Cause it's like, are you going to say something on the, 
on the broadcast, or is it is it like they keep it 100 regardless? Yeah, no, for me so far, my interactions have been I, they've been just genuine, right? Like I yeah. like I said, I'm still close with some a lot of these players, and when I talk to them, I don't talk to them and. I think what they've got, they gather from me is if I'm talking, I'm talking to you, right? I'm not talking yeah. to you because I'm trying to get like some insider information or anything like that. I'm just talking to you because I'm talking. Like we had a relationship prior to this or we knew each other from afar and now we have a chance to talk. So I'm not, I'm not ever trying to suss anything out of any, anyone or like get you caught up in any kind of mess or, or you know, trick you into, re, into revealing information you weren't supposed to reveal. Like, no, that's, yeah. that's not my MO to be honest. No pun intended there, but um i'm so close to the players i talk to the players about whatever we talk about soccer they want advice i give them advice you know um and it's just a a mutual respect that we have for each other and it's just this friendship that we have like same way i talk to you about whatever we just talk about life it doesn't matter i'm not gonna turn around now now i said i'm on the broadcast talking about a movie and i'm like and by the way, a Moby Law, nah. Like if it if it works, <laughs> if it ties in, then it makes sense. But I'm never I'm never trying to like I never have a hidden agenda when I'm talking to players. If I need if I want to get something from you or I want to set up an interview, I'll just come to you straight, like, hey, I need to do this for this. Yeah. I'm transparent. Right. I try to be as transparent as possible. That's what it's all about. And kind of staying in that vein, um, a question from Ringo and Wavy Footy kind of a combo question um is why are there so few black voices in soccer media and what has been your experience as one of the few um as one of the few black voices in american soccer media i i don't know the answer to the first one um and i come into this position embracing that right and i see that as a as a as a point to make and that's another reason why i take it serious because because there aren't many that's part of it um I know growing up, there weren't many, I don't remember any voices like mine or faces that look like mine when I'm watching games or listening to games. So now that I'm in this position, I was actually doing a, I actually did a seminar with US Soccer Foundation and this similar kind of question came up and I was talking about the importance of having people that look like you, that in, that can inspire you to go ahead and pursue certain things. Uh, part of, I think part of the lack of representation is that there's kids grow up and they never think that this is a possibility, right? And so how do you change that narrative? Well, when people get into these positions, myself, um, others that are there that are out there now, it's important for us to one, to do a good job at it. Uh, but then two, I think I think for me personally, I, I, I wanna be authentic. I don't wanna sound like anyone. I don't wanna be anyone else. I wanna be me and succeed, fail, whatever that looks like, I wanna be me because I think that that helps to inspire that next generation. One of the I got this message on, on Instagram um, a while back, actually. It was when I was doing Champions League, and, and this kid wrote to me about uh, saying that I inspired him, right? And could be just blowing smoke, who knows, whatever. You know, he started off by giving me, like, oh, it's so good to see you, you do such a good job, yada, 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 whatever. Um, but the point of the message, from the, what I took from that message was he was talking about how he had been interning with different NFL teams and he'd been writing letters to different um, NBA teams that he'd really never pursued soccer because he didn't really associate being African-American with soccer. And so seeing beyond there kind of opened the door for him to say like, you know what, I, why can't I pursue soccer? Why can't I intern with a, with a, a network that covers soccer with a soccer team to, to do broadcasts within that realm as well. So I took that as like, you know what, that's, this is what I want to see. This is what I'm part of 
what inspires me to go out there and continue doing this because well then maybe more kids will believe that they can also do this role you know maybe just because they haven't seen it they haven't seen many of us in the past doing it um doesn't mean that it closes the door for them and and that i take pride in that that's that goes from the way i talk the way that i break plays down the way that i dress you know whatever it whatever it is whatever catches their eye that first time i hope that that's enough to get them to stay on the channel long enough and then the sport the game itself itself so I think first for a lot of African-American kids, like it's just that entryway first and foremost to get introduced to the game. And then the game does enough of a job selling itself. No, that's a great point. Yeah. you made. I remember when you was on uh, doing the Champions League, my phone used to blow up all the time. I was like, yo, is that your boy, Mo? Yo, why is he wearing such tight shirts, man? You've been working out? You got the new Jordans? Yeah. So, but like representation really matters. Like representation really matters. So, um, to see someone that's done it and, you know, has all the accolades, you know, has played there at that level, you know, can speak eloquently, eloquently, not me, not like me, I'm over here butchering words. Um, <laughs> it's, it's really important. Yeah, speaking of, speaking of that, speaking of, like, um, you kind of representing our culture, like, I see y'all have, like, some heat on, um, on some of those shows. Like, is that, like, from wardrobe or is that personal collection? Oh, uh, nah, from the collection? Oh, Ellie, you got you got yeah, you got to tap into his personal collection. This man is yeah, is out yeah, of his I need to. Okay, I'm trying to downsize okay. actually, man. I'm actually trying to downsize. I'm trying to yeah, I'm trying to downsize a little bit. But no, that's all personal, and and that's to be honest, that was one of the things that I kind of really or that I appreciate about being on TV is the fact that you have a chance to to be you, you know, unapologetically and authentically, especially through how you present yourself in terms of wardrobe and that kind of things. And, and like I said, going back to what I was saying, like, if that's what, if that's the one thing that someone flipping through channels connects with straight away as they see like, Oh, this dude that dresses like, I kind of like how he dressed. Let me pay attention for a second and see what he's saying. Oh, they're talking about soccer. I don't really care about soccer. Then next two minutes later, they're like, it's kind of cool like whatever you know what it looked like um i think it's a win-win it's a win-win because if it's if that's how they connect because we have similarities in terms of fashion or they hear something they hear my voice and it sounds different than somebody else's and they can vibe with that or they hear someone else's voices that sounds different than mine they vibe with that whatever the connection is that draws them in i think that's important because it's just another it's another way to connect the dots in terms of getting them connected to the sport which I will keep harping on. The game sells itself. No, that's a good yeah, point. definitely. So, from a community standpoint, like as the black community, um, as we try to get more voices in the more voices from the black community into um, into the game, we also need that at the higher levels as well, and that comes with ownership. So, MLS has a team that's up for sale currently. Um, so, if you don't follow the league, um, current RSL, um, Real Salt Lake owner, Deloy Henson made some disparaging remarks about players boycotting um, a game in solidarity and support against police brutality, um, saying that he felt disrespected by his players and like so, and like someone stabbed him with a knife. So that obvious backlash from his remarks unearthed a plethora of stories and accounts of Henson's history of racism and caused a firestorm on social media with people calling for the MLS to force a sale. Um, so as of recently, um, all this new attention has led Hanson to put Utah Soccer Holdings, which is the company that has all of these uh, teams under it, up for sale. Um, and under that portfolio is uh, Real Salt Lake of MLS, Utah Royals of um, NWSL Women's League, and um, the 
Real Monarchs of USL. It also includes Rio Tinto Stadium, um, the training facility, the academy, and other infrastructure. Um, and so to that point, Toronto FC striker Josie Altidore took to Twitter to express his opinion, saying um, he needs to sell the team. He needs to sell the team then. Um, I'm involved in a group that's ready to purchase it. Time for change. Um, so what are your thoughts on this entire situation and what should MLS do in terms of ensuring that there's more diversity in the ownership ranks? Yeah, I, I think I think representation is a is a huge talking point and an actionable item that that I know for a fact the black players for change are fighting for um, and that we all want to see change addressing the RSL thing straight away. Like when I read those comments, it was it, it was crazy to me that someone could actually um, say those things outright without assuming there was going to be some kind of backlash. So I, I don't know if in my mind, it, it maybe it was premeditated, right? Like this was, this was calculated, a calculated move. Maybe he was just trying to get away from the team and wanted out from the team. But regardless, um, I think those comments are ridiculous. It's so ironic. The, the way, the words he used to say, I felt like someone stabbed me. Well, the irony of, of the, of that is the protests are in retaliation to black men, women being killed. So it, it just, it was, it was damning hearing those statements and hearing those comments, but I agree. I straight away, I agree with what Josie said that he needs to get, he needs to be out. Um, and in some ways I kind of wish that he wasn't having the opportunity to sell that his hand was being forced and, you know, the ability to, for him to negotiate the price and all that was being taken away from him and, and said being forced, him being forced out, I think would have been a better narrative. Uh, but just talking about representation. Yeah. I think that that's, that's something that definitely needs to be addressed. How you go about addressing that? Well, I don't believe that it should happen in a case of like affirmative action where you just set a status number, you have a number in mind and say, we need to have this many people because then I think it kind of just waters down and it takes away from, in some scenarios, it takes away from the person assuming that position having credibility and respect from their peers. I think it's more so along the lines of black people just having a chance to be considered for that role. Now, that doesn't mean that they're going to get every single ch- every single role that, that comes up. But when a coaching job comes up or an administrative job comes up and an OB wants to be in that race and he has all the qualifications, like why would his name not be considered? You know, why, would, why should his name not be considered? Um, so I think that's where... I think that's what a lot of people are pushing for in terms of representation more so of, of, of when a person who is qualified has all the prerequisites, his CV matches the man next to him, but the only difference is the color of their skin. I don't think that should be, it should never be um, the deciding factor between what, when you're deciding between those two. I also think that a lot of times what you hear, a lot of the narrative sometimes is that, well, that person's not prepared for this. Well, then there, there needs to be more mentoring programs that do prepare them. Because when the players get closer to the end of their careers and they're trying to make the decision to transition, it is difficult. And a lot of times, you know, some of our white peers have had a chance to, to be, you know, taken under their, under someone's wing and, and be groomed and prepared for that next, that next role. And so when they, their career finishes, they're able to walk right into that. And we sit back and go like, why is that? How's that happening? Um, you know, kind of unbeknownst to us that they're, they've had a little, they've had a chance to experience that and be groomed a little bit. So, I think mentorship pro- programs are really important because at the end of the day, whether athletes want to recognize it and realize it, your career doesn't last forever, right? And there's going to be that next 
that next stage. And so the better prepared you are, and this is kind of going across the board, not just for black people, but um, you need to be prepared for that. But I definitely think that mentor programs that give young, even young black kids before they even into the professional ranks, an opportunity to realize that as you're coming up as a soccer player, 15, 16, 17, whatever that looks like, maybe being a professional doesn't Maybe that's what your dream end goal is, but maybe that's not the reality, right? But knowing that you can still stay within the sport and, and achieve different things, I think that needs to be highlighted and, and, and their eyes need to be open to that so that they're not just, when they don't make it in, as a pro, and I'm not saying that they shouldn't or that they won't, but if they don't make it as a pro, well, the fall off shouldn't be that now they're sat, they're sat there lost and confused and not knowing what to do. There should still be opportunities for them to go and pursue other things, whether that's hey, I want to get my coaching license and coach, knowing that there are opportunities for me when I get to a certain point. Or, hey, I'm going to finish my degree and go into the, the business side of, of sports. Or, you know what, I want to start, I want to focus on um, TV, media side, or, you know, back end of different, of different um, there's just so many different avenues to stay within the sport that I think players are naive to and not recognizing that they exist. So a lot of it is, I think, is opportunity first and foremost, just getting that opportunity to, to sit at that table and have that conversation and, and be groomed the same way that others are being groomed and be mentored the same way that other be, are being mentored and ownership. Of course, ownership is when you have, when decisions are made for you by people who don't really represent the same things that you represent, it's kind of hard to feel like they're valid. Right. Um, one, another, another, um, interview I did, we were talking about, we were talking about racism in Europe and we were talking about some of the campaigns that go on to eradicate racism in sport oh. in Europe. And, and, you know, one of the points that I made was decisions are being made about how one, how black people should conduct themselves when they are, when they are faced with racism. And then two, how do you go about eradicating it? So they're making decisions about things that affect us but there's none of us that are part of that conversation that are sat on those meetings that are, that are being able to provide any kind of insight or, or lend themselves to, to what that experience is like. And so representation, it's important at so many different levels, ownership, um, coaching, front office, so on and so forth, referees, like in every, every across the board, I think representation is, is needed and is very important. You say, Moby. Now you hit the nail on the head. Obviously, um, the comments were like crazy, and then I read the athletic article. I was like, Nah, yo, this this got to be fake. And then I talked to more people, and they're like, Yo, it might have been intentional. So then, you know me, conspiracy theorists to Moby, I was like, (laughs) Makes a little bit of sense, but yeah, there's no place for that in sports. Um, The reason why I was smiling earlier is because I know you. And Josie are good friends. You guys have talked about different things um, from the sports business perspective. And I'm just having it on good authority. If you guys get into any ownership group and I'm not involved, president of operations or GM, <laughs> just delete my number, bro. I'm serious. <laughs> delete my number. I'm serious. <laughs> you little uh, bro, man. You know, you know, the the lines of communication are always open, bro. No, but yeah, it's important yeah. to have. The, the mentorship, the representation, and uh, ultimately ownership. And that's what it's all about. Yeah, it's crazy you mentioned that it might have been intentional. Like, why did he have to take it there to sell his team when he just put his team up for sale? You know? I why agree. do you have to I agree. create that I, I, much of a fire? To be, honest, 
to be honest, you know, like you when you were reading up, uh, when you were talking about the timeline of events and how things have now revealed themselves, he has a history of it's crazy because uh, the same way I'm sure most uh, both of your phones were blowing up, my phone was blowing up, and people were like, "Yo, just just talking about first of all the comments, second of all the team being up for sale, um, but thirds, so many people had accounts of of whether personal interactions or you know, yo, this that's crazy because my boy told me this story about this happening and this and stories that just started circulating and coming in. And I'm just like, okay, well, <laughs> all right. You can only, you know, you can only hide your true feelings from the world for so long and eventually they reveal themselves. Exactly. Yeah. So I know there's a lot of infrastructure with the team already. Um, there's also been talks of like, when new ownership comes in, should they rebrand or should they, like, what should they do to kind of, I guess, refresh the team? Like, what are y'all thoughts on that? Like, what do you think should happen? Like when a new ownership group comes in, what, what are some moves that you guys will make if you guys were hypothetically in that position? It's, I mean, for me, I think it's, it's, it's always like, I think it's case by case, right? I don't think there's one blueprint that's, that works across the board. I think you have to take into, into fact or, you have to think about so many different factors, part of it being um, the market, of course, you know, what's, what's the team, like, what, how, how is the team navigating in that market thus far? Have they peaked already? Is there much room for growth and expansion? Um, and then depending on what group comes in and buys it, like, I know the Utah Jazz are rumored to be one of the groups that are, that are interested in purchasing it. I think, you know, being all, being completely honest, I think a local owner could make sense because, there could be synergies between the clubs, ways to cross promote to market um, uh, across the across sports. Uh, but in terms of new ownership coming in, I think you, you originally you want to try to make some kind of a of a stamp, you know, put your stamp on the team. But at the same time, if you have a successful product, you don't want to tinker with it too much. Um, but again, I think a lot of it is case by case because some might say, "Hey, I'm an owner. I'm coming into." I'm buying, I'm buying Salt Lake with the idea that I want to move them to a different market, you know? So it's, it's definitely the ambition of the owner to one, um, but also just having a chance to really evaluate and strip everything down, you know, see what the numbers look like, see what, see how much you've tapped into the market. What's your relationship with the community? Like, is there, how much room for growth is there within that market? Um, and then obviously you focus on the team as well. How can you improve the team? how can you start bringing trophies and, 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 and more plaudits and accolades to the club and making the club a bigger presence in the league um, from a, from a notoriety standpoint, but then also from a success standpoint. Yeah. And Al, you also got to take into account, like he, um, he put a lot of investment into the youth and like they have like a whole academy. Um, I know if I'm coming into that unsure group, I'm moving it to Vegas or Phoenix for sure. I'm not keeping it. It's all late, but that's just me. (laughs) So you're moving the whole hey, academy, everything. <laughs> your, your comment's about to blow up right now. Attack <laughs> you, boy. <laughs> uh, All right. And you mentioned academy. You mentioned, um, like, they have a pretty good academy, right? They're pretty known for their academy. Um, another another kid, like, the dream is, is to always kind of go from the academy up to the first team and kind of be a legend on the first team. Um now and that happened with Leo Messi. So Leo Messi is um, reportedly disappointed with the Champions League exit and 19 years at the club at Barcelona. 
and has decided he wants to exercise a clause in his contract that would allow him to opt out and move on from Barcelona on a free transfer. Um, so, however, Barcelona, uh, with the help of La Liga, has insisted they instead wanted to force a 700 million euro release clause, making it virtually impossible for him to move to any team that's not backed by, you know, Saudi money or something like that. So, right. one of the teams, um, Manchester City, is reportedly ready to make the deal and have agreed, pers- they have agreed, allegedly agreed personal terms with him, which would give him a five-year compensation package, reportedly worth uh, 700 million euros and an ownership stake in City Football Group. Um, so this would, re- this would reunite him with uh, Pep Guardiola at City for three years and then move him to NYCFC for the remaining two. Um, so, I mean, there's a lot of lot to unpack here, but like, what are y'all thoughts on the, like this whole messy scenario? Um, where do you think he should go? Um, what do you think about the deal that um, Man City put on the table for him? Um, and do you think he'll actually leave Barcelona? So, <laughs> I'm I'm Team Messi through and through, right? So, uh, I I <laughs> I think that the deal that they put on the table is incredible. It's hard to say hard to say no to a deal like that. Um, I just I I kind of also appreciate when players are able because it's difficult especially in this in the world that we live in now to stay at a club for your whole career right so there's beauty in that for sure I think one of the for those few fans out there who who have anything negative to say about Messi one of the slights that they have in him is that he's done everything at Barcelona he's played his whole career there all the success he's had there um, is at Barcelona and they have the best players and he's he's done it all in that league why can't he go do the same in another league and they compare that to his national team you know they say that's that's the reason why um he has so much success at barcelona but with argentina they can't win any trophies so a part of me is like all right go to city and just shut everybody up that way there's no more conversation there's nothing else you can say about the man he's shown it across different leagues uh and then another part of me is like the loyalty to stay at one club is it's a beautiful thing but I also think I also feel his frustrations. I mean, when you look at Barcelona over the last what four or five years now, they've operated like a a mid-level team in terms of their transfer strategy. The transfer strategy actually is it's non-existent. Um, <laughs> I, no, and all honesty, they they've made like they've made panic buys consistently, and. I don't think that they've had a clear cut idea of what this team should look like. Um, it seems like they just, they go, so they sold Neymar and then what they do with the money instead of saying like, okay, let's sit down and have a real plan, put together a plan for the next two or three years or um, whatever that looks like. You know, every, every club is different. You know, every club has a different ideology. They have a different, excuse me, not ideology. They have a different uh, strategy and culture attached to them about how they go out and acquire players, what the team looks like, how the team plays, what the team identity is. And they buy players, some teams buy players to fit that, some teams buy players and then fit the system around the players. Barcelona has shown to be a team that has a system that they want to play. They have a style that they want to play and they usually buy players to fit that style. Well, in recent years, they've just been buying players who seem like, one, they just buy like the hottest player at the time. They buy Usman Dembele, who it's been a little bit hard to really gauge because he's been hurt for so many, you know, for such a long period of time. He maybe could have fit into the system, could have been a good replacement for Neymar and the system that they were playing. But then the signing for, of Griezmann is one that I just scratched my head at. Um, when I look at the way that they wanted to play with, with 
Neymar, Suarez, and then another player alongside him. I just don't see where Griezmann fits into that. He's not a winger. He plays better in usually a two-system, a two-striker system where he can, you know, have a little bit of freedom to play, like similar to Messi, where Messi can go and find the game. You know, um, Griezmann wants to kind of play a little bit in the hole at times, but then have the freedom to go run in behind and just go find the game. Whereas with Barcelona, he can't really do that because that's that's what Messi does. Messi <laughs> is a dictator. You you know, you give him the ball and you let him play, but. Going off topic a little bit, I, just their transfer, their transfer strategy lately, um, it's looked lost. They've shown an unwillingness to, to part ways with players that are maybe aging. They, you, this is Barcelona we're talking about, right? So as, as much as you want to be respectful and, and give your players a proper goodbyes and, and do them justice for the service that they've done to the club, you're one of the top two clubs in the world. You have to constantly have the best players in the world at your club. So whether that means PK doesn't play as much because there's better center backs that you're bringing in because this is the best club in the world, whether that means that, you know, maybe, well, they started ushering out Rakitic, but does that mean that Busquets starts to not play as much as, as, as um, he maybe would like to? Jordi Alba, you know, all these players that are starting to age a little bit, I think that they've shown a unwillingness to really bring in players who can adequately step in and, and fill those roles and actually challenge these players for positions. And I just, I just think from a, from a recruiting job, they've done a poor job. Messi called for it end of last year, this year, basically saying like, look, I need help. <laughs> help me. Help me. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, help me. I, I Look, I can only do so much. I've carried this team um, <laughs> for so long. Like, I think the telling point, it should have never even got to the 8-2 with Bayern. The game when they lost to Liverpool at, uh, at Anfield, if that wasn't – actually, we can even take it back before that, you know, losing to Roma. Like, those games right there were, were should have been wake-up calls like, all right, this man has done it all for us in leg one, but somehow we've blown the second leg. He needs help. We need better players. We need, we need to change something internally. But I think they're a club that's – I don't want to say in turmoil, but – there are a lot of the issues aren't just personnel and coaches. I think it goes beyond that to the board, um, to the ownership group. Like, I think there's a lot going on that's led him to this point of feeling like, man, maybe it's time to bow out. Yeah, he got he to leave. Um, I originally <laughs> thought he was just trying to threaten Barca and like get, like get rid of the president, like need a complete overhaul. But I mean, he's done all he can. Barca, it's bad for them, bro. Like, Real Madrid, the way they've set up over the next couple of years, Atletico Madrid, uh, Sevilla, like, it's bad for Barcelona unless they change something real quick. And then if Messi leaves with no, like, recovery plan, yeah, it's going to be bad for them for, like, at least two, three years. And they're saying Suarez is linked with Juventus, too, so. <sighs> oh, yeah. I don't know. I mean – they should, besides Messi, Gayong, and uh, Ter Stegen should be the only ones that have, like, a locked position on Barca. And then the, the young boy, uh, uh, Pugi. And then um, the Cameroonian, uh, Fonsi, or whatever his name is. Besides the you don't like Frankie de Jong? No, yeah, that's what I said. De Jong, keep him. Like, everyone else is on the hot seat. Everyone else is free for a transfer. Like, you, you're not, you, don't have a, you don't have a guaranteed position. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm trying to think of as anyone else I would include in there. Um, yeah, that's 
that's it, right? There's probably someone that I'm that I'm not thinking of, but yeah, off the top of my head, there's not. And that shouldn't be that shouldn't be the case for Barcelona, you know? Yeah, like right. this is Barcelona we're talking about. You should have at least like five, seven players where you're like, nah, 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 nah. They're not going anywhere. This is we're building our team around. I mean, so we're gonna see how this how that transfer plays out with um with Artur going to Juventus and kind of coming to Barca, but that's just another example. And like, hey, maybe I'm saying this right now, and I have to eat my words. But very similar players. Um, one is younger, so has upside yeah. to where he can develop and grow, and, and maybe have a sell-on value. Pjanic is coming here, and after this, after his whatever, I think his contract was three years. After these three years, you're not selling them for much. Yeah, like you're you're not. You better hope that you win the Champions League these three years, because after that, you're not selling them for anything. So I, it's just like. Yeah, I don't understand. I don't really. There's not real clarity around their transfer policy, their their vision, their ideas. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Let's talk about this deal that City gave them, though, real quick. So five years, seven hundred million euros. On top of that, an equity stake in City Football Group. This city, this group, just they just they just bought a team in a uh, League Two in yeah, France. France. So like they got yeah. ten, they got ten teams under them. You know what I'm saying? Like, so do you think that we'll start seeing more deals like this for like these larger players, um, more equity deals, um, kind of mixed in with uh, mixed? I'm gonna be saying no. It's like some once in a lifetime stuff. Yeah, it's only this, this Messi, Neymar, Mbappe. Those are the only type of players you're giving those type of deals to. You can almost argue yeah, that uh, I, Beckham kind of got that too with um well, with his deal with MLS. That's, that's MLS though. It's a little bit different. <laughs> nah, there's this is there's a unique <laughs> there's a very small circle of players who fall into the realm of of having that kind of negotiation power uh, unless unless you kind of scale it down, right? But like at the top top clubs, you're not you don't have that <laughs> you don't have that that kind of power to, to negotiate that kind of deal, unless you are messy. I think they were saying that Rooney got something similar with Darby, but again, you know, you have to scale that down a little bit. Like he's not going to Man United and getting that kind of, he's not going yeah. to Man United and getting that deal. So yeah, yeah I, I think more players are, are eyes are being open to the, to even the idea of ownership, you know, and that's across sports, I think as well. But but being able to actually negotiate that in your deal, there's, and I think that's across sports too. There's only a select few that can actually like voice that one, voice it, have the balls to voice it, but then two, to actually have the 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 party you're voicing it to say like, oh yeah, that makes sense for us. So Messi's a unique case, like that. Like I said that's the goat. So yeah. yeah. Well, for the second MLS, we better, we better hope that happens. Get Messi over here for at least a couple years at the end of his career. Uh, so we'll, we'll move on from that. Um, another thing, another headline recently in the news, Brazil makes pay equal for the men and women's national teams. So um, the, the women's soccer team will receive the same pay as the male, as their male counterparts, according to an announce, announcement from the Federation this week. Um, this policy means every player representing Brazil will receive equal pay, daily, equal daily rates and prize money um, on their international duty. So Brazil joins Australia, Norway, New Zealand, and England as um, some of the teams that are implementing this equal pay policy. Um, so also to that point, um, the U.S. soccer 
U.S. soccer is still under scrutiny uh, for their handling of the women's team. Um, and you know, the women's team have a, had a lawsuit out for gender discrimination and stuff like that. So what are you guys' thoughts on um, on this whole scenario? Um, do you see U.S. soccer following suit? Like a little peer pressure happening? Um, for me personally, first and foremost, congratulations to the Brazil Federation for, you know, coming to terms around that. You know, Marta and her fellow compatriots have been fighting for that for a while. Um, with the U.S. soccer situation, it's, it's really crazy. There's a lot of back and forth. Um, hopefully we can get to that point. Obviously, there's some things that have been miscommunicated across both parties um, that really need to get cleared up for um, things to make sense. And obviously, equal pay makes sense. Um, but there's just a lack of communication on both parties about what both sides truly want. And I think that needs to be situated uh, first and foremost, instead of going to the media, you know, or going through different parties. Like, I don't know why they can't just sit in the room and really get everything clear on the table and then go from there. Uh, but yeah, equal pay needs to happen for sure. Yeah, I, I kudos to, to all the federations that have found a way to to make that a reality. And, um, you know, domestically, like Amobi was saying, there's still there still is that somewhat gray area that exists. Um, I think especially from the out from the outside looking in for for fans and whatnot, there's still like a little bit of there's still a lot that's unclear in terms of from both sides. You know how things are being communicated. Whether that's the biggest uh, sticking point. You know the miscommunication of, of information, or if the information itself just isn't correct. So I I, I too agree that um, look I I applaud the women for for their fight. I applaud them for for fighting for what they believe in. I would you know I hope to have a daughter one day, and I want her to grow up in an environment where she can dream about you know having the same opportunities that her brother has, and and that starts with one, I, that's what, that starts with the woman fighting for, for these different causes, you know, equal pay is one of many things that, that women are fighting for, uh, for, for parity and, and equality across the board. Um, the same way that, the same way that other countries have now found a way to find that middle ground, to find that way to bring everyone on the same plane, on the same playing field. I think it can happen here in the States. Is it going to happen overnight? I'm not sure. Um, is there still a lot of room for for conversation and negotiation and for, for everyone to really come to terms with that? Yes, I think there's still a sticky period that we're going to go through. But ultimately, um, ultimately, I, I you know, I, I dream of a world, like I said, where, where I have a daughter eventually and she can grow up competing against her brother, knowing that when she, if she's better than him, um, she's going to be compensated in the same way that he that she should be compensated. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, do you think that um, the federation is too intertwined with NWSL? Meaning, um, for those who don't know, like the women's national team players, their salary is paid by the federation when they play, you know, their club, their club teams, or with the NWSL teams. Um, do you think that kind of relationship is kind of, um, I don't know, kind of giving the, the federation like a bargaining chip or like some type of like, like we pay your salary, you know, we shouldn't, we shouldn't have to like equalize everything on this side because we're already kind of covering and floating things on this side. Um, what do you, 
do you think that that's causing some of the issues as well? Well, I think that's part of the moving parts, you know, that we, that, that we kind of alluded to, um, that it's not, it's not completely black and white. It's not as though, uh, the contracts are all structured the exact same way on the the man's side and the women's side. And so that's where, that's where I say, I think there's still a lot of conversations and negotiations to be had to come to terms with what, how, how does equal pay, what does it look like? Right. Because it sounds like as you're saying equal pay, it sounds like, okay, if he makes $5, she should make $5. Right. But, um, just in terms of how things are currently structured, there has to be a way to work to, to, to negotiate that and find that level ground uh, to balance that out. And how things are defined, I think, is going to come into play, right? Like what's defined as like bonus money or what's, what all is categorized as being part of that pot of money that they're talking about should be equal is all going to come into play. But I think there's, there's, there is a solution out there. It's not going to... Like I said, it's not an easy one to find, and I think it's going to require both sides to have to concede a little bit. But it's just it's going to take time. I do think it's going to take time, um, and more conversations definitely are going to have to be had. Some hard conversations as well. Yeah, that's a great point. I think it's important to understand that U.S. Soccer does pay NWSL salaries, and like that that needs to be figured out. And well, this might be like a quick tangent, but I think that affects who's coming into the US, uh, U.S. women's national team. I feel like we see the same players year after year. And I don't know, you know, I don't know the the numbers and stuff around it, but I feel like you don't see a lot of, like, new players coming in. Like, you know, you have a player that has a good run of form and then, you know, they come in because I don't really know um, all the details around who's paying what, um, who gets compensated. So I think all that stuff being intertwined, it really affects – um, things down the road, but like Mo said, um, that's something that needs to be cleared out um, to ultimately get to what both parties want. They definitely hope they can get that worked out. Um, so let's get into one of our favorite segments of the show: um, no card, yellow card, red card. Um, this is a rapid fire segment of the show where I fire off some questions, um, and our guest Mo, as well as Amobi, will give it a card based on their opinion of it. So no card means that they're in agreement or that they like it. Um, red card is they disagree um, or they don't like the idea or, or however the question is framed. Um, and yellow card is um, they can go either way about it. They may agree. They may not agree. Um, either way, they're kind of in the middle. So um, first one, no card, yellow card, red card. Weston McKinney joining Juventus. No card. No card. I'm all in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you get a chance to play for Juventus, you don't say no. So, yeah, no card. I think he's going to play the Gattuso role, Pirlo. I'm still iffy about that, but I think Pirlo, he's going to implement his AC Milan formation, have Gattuso, Weston McKinney, and the Gattuso role. And, 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 and so just to add to that, yeah, and just to add to that, you know what? I, you know, another reason why I'm all in is because, man, there's so many. <laughs> there's still this stigma about American players. Like I think players have, have started to knock that down a little bit, and that's and that's a beautiful thing. Have started to to show like, yo, we're um, there's more to American players than just like I don't know, hard work and and determination. Like we can actually play at that level. So I think that's that's a beautiful thing. But man, if you look at at Pretty much every team around Europe, right? 
they'll gamble on a young kid from another country, on a, on a young Italian kid. They'll gamble on a young Brazilian kid. They'll gamble on a young German kid, you know? So uh, why can't Juventus gamble on a young American, you know? Um, he's shown well for himself. He said he's, he's done well at Schalke. So the opportunity has come up, whether they, the, it's, a, you know, it's a bargain deal for them or whatever that looks like. I don't, I don't really care. I think, one, it's great for him personally. Um, to go to a club of that of that size and that stature, do I completely agree with with how do I say this? The club has a little bit of a history with race relations that that I'm not in, in support of, you know. So I, I, I from that standpoint, I'm like, eh. But other than that, from a playing standpoint, from giving a, a young player an opportunity, I'm all I'm all in. I'm all in. I'm 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 excited for him to go there and shut people up and and make some noise there, man. Yeah, facts. Oh, okay. No card, yellow card, red card. Chelsea's current transfer window. Where's the red money card? Red card. <laughs> red card. Red card. Where's all this money somehow. coming from? I don't understand it. I don't get it. They're out here cheating. Oil, 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 oil money's been good. We hey, we did the transfer transfer ban for like half a half a year, and we good now. We back. We coming. I don't. It doesn't make sense to me. I don't get it, and I don't like it at all. Uh, Havertz is on the way. Like, it just doesn't make sense, man. Like, wh- how? How? How do you? How do you identify so many targets and get all of them? Like, it doesn't make sense. Uh, we still not done. How does that happen? We got a goalie on the way. I think we got another. Paying crazy one. money too sense. at that. Crazy transfer saying. fees on top of that. Right. Cheese. Some, That's some what they do. Right, man. Don't watch me. Watch we already know what she's gonna say, Moby. <laughs> yeah. No car. Don't watch me watch TV. <laughs> 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 All right. We'll so, move but now the real that. question is, if y'all don't win the league, now what? Oh, uh, we're not, no, it's a two-year, th- two, three-year project. We're not going to win the league. <laughs> so next year you're gonna go splash the cash. If, if, if Man City gets messy, we're not winning the league. We're we're at comfortably Champions League. That's that's what we're shooting for. Well, I, I still don't even trust Lampard. I still don't even trust Lampard. But right wait, now. the goal the goal is comfortably Champions League when you spend over two hundred million. Yeah. You see who else is okay. spending? We're not the only one spending. Who? We're still done. Who? Liverpool, Messi. I'm sorry, Man City. <laughs> Who's, who is Liverpool by? They're ta- they're in touch with Thiago. That's about they're it. Thiago. Yeah, they're gonna get Thiago, and they're and gonna that's get like uh, thirty. That's like thirty mil. They spent so much in the past two windows. We we oh, have we got a window. We have a window. Why are you worried about us, man? You worried about Arsenal? You guys, you guys just keep having free shield. Look, <laughs> look. I, I think we got the right man in office right now. You know what I'm saying? Like, as long as we beat you guys when it counts, as long as we beat Tottenham, as long as we beat you know top six teams, I'm happy with it. Hey, you know we're coming back, man. Like it's it's not gonna happen overnight. It's 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 a project, but you know we're slowly getting the pieces. If we get Thomas Party this year, okay, I'll be feeling a little bit a little bit better about our chances. Yeah, we're trying to offload some guys, so it looks like we'll free up some funds to get we it done. To. Hopefully, we get it done. We need to All right, next a lot. One. No card, yellow card, red card. Neymar ends his 15-year partnership with Nike to join Puma. Uh, let me just point out, though. Let me just point out real quick. Mo was probably the first athlete to go to Puma, soccer player, to go to Puma before it started getting hot. You can tell that story if you want. (laughs) 
Yeah, no, I, 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 I'm, I'm gonna say no card. Uh, no, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say yellow card on this one, just because. Well, one on from his standpoint, um, from Puma's standpoint, first of all, it makes hundred percent. I mean, it makes it makes perfect sense why you, why you go for Neymar. Uh, from Neymar's standpoint, you know what I've learned about Neymar, just his transfer to PSG, I think, was telling enough. Like, he wants to do things his way, and he wants to be the guy, right? At Nike, he's still competing with uh, with everyone. He's competing with Ronaldo. He's competing with Mbappe, who some actually value a little bit higher than Neymar right now. Uh, he's competing with a host of other players. Now, you go to Puma, and automatically, you, you jump to the top of that list straight away. Yes, Aguero's still there, I think. Uh, Marco Royce is there. A couple yeah. other heads, but yeah, but straight away you're, you know, you're King Kong in there. So uh, from that standpoint, and I think it just kind of follows suit of who who Neymar is showing himself to be. He wants it to be. He wants to be that guy. Not to say that he wasn't that guy at Nike, but like now he's truly that guy. If he goes. Yeah, I mean we haven't even seen the money yet, so got to do what's best for your family. That's that's my answer <laughs> when it comes to money related moves. Had to do with that for him and his family. You know, his dad has a big influence. <laughs> uh, yeah, Puma, Puma's talking. They're trying to make noise, so we might as well get someone that is a little bit different. And Neymar fits that bill. So no card for me. No problems. Okay, you think that's the? Um, I don't know. Is Neymar with, with Rock Nation? No, right? Uh, I no. don't think he is. No, he's done like some like collaborations with them and stuff like that, but he's not with them. Okay, because I thought that was another. Another Jay Z move yeah. on the on the low. Another <laughs> another Jay Z having an agency, but also being a Puma. Uh, yeah, no conflict of interest. None, none exists. Yeah. None exists. All right, I'm last one. Last one. No card, yellow card, red card. Uh, French League Two side Troy becomes City Football Group's tenth club. No card. I don't have any issue with it. I, um, yeah, I don't really give much of anything to it. To be honest, like, I, it's it could be another route for as a feeder club. Um, they get promotion to to league on, then hey, there's upside to that. Of course, I'm sure they're gonna they'll loan out some some city players who aren't cutting the bill there and get them into that team, strengthen that team up a little bit. No card for me. Yeah, I'll say yellow card just because you might need to figure out a way to watch what they're doing. I know they're trying to figure out ways financial fair play. I feel like talk about Chelsea, bro. Watch them. <laughs> I feel like they, you know, they're finding different ways to get things done. So, um, but it's good in terms of like their their overall landscape. You know, they have they're strategic about the teams that they buy. Um, so from that standpoint, I like it. But from a financial fair play perspective, you're going to see them start <laughs> buying like these young players. And then next thing you know, free transfer to Man City, you know. So that's what we do not want. But who knows? I, I like it. More yeah. more investments into soccer. Yeah, I mean, they have a team on every continent, basically, except for like Africa. So I'm missing the um, Maybe get to Africa. I see it as like they might... They might run Troy up, get him promoted. Two teams in Champions League. I don't know what the rules are, but double that Champions League money. 
Another way to bring in some. Yeah. That's true. You know, I think I think that's the only other league that actually plays in Champions League, right? That they have a, have ownership in. They don't they don't have a team in um in Germany, I don't think. Mm-hmm. So no, I feel like and yeah. and the French <laughs> league is kind of a it's kind of an easy league if we want to argue. So don't, don't tell be, don't tell Mbappe that. <laughs> yeah. Don't tell Mbappe that that man went on a tirade about that. <laughs> don't don't tell him that. All right, Which, let another team. Let, let, let's let's let another team you know win the league for once. Then we can say it's not an easy league. As long as they, as hey, long, as, long as PSG is winning every season, like there's gonna be some scrutiny there. But but I mean, Bayern's been yeah. having fun with with the Bundesliga for how long now? You know, but that league is still viewed yeah. as being one of the strongest leagues. Serie A, same thing. Right, Juve. It's not even if you don't win. That's why Juve signed all these players. <laughs> Bless you. They, that's why they sign all these players because the league is not even the focus anymore. Like they rest players. PSG and Juve rest players during their league games because they they have Champions League midweek. You know, so I think uh, I don't know. I think obviously Liga is definitely lower on the totem pole than than your Bundesliga, your Premier Leagues, but Syria maybe. But I look. They're starting to make. They're starting to make some noise. I think this Champions League campaign has really opened some eyes for sure. I don't think anyone, me included, saw Lyon going as far as they did. Um, yeah. And PSG was what a couple messy, uh, messy, a couple Neymar shots from from winning the thing, right? But who knows? Yeah. I mean, France is so stacked with talent too. So it's like if you keep them there, keep them there for like an extra two, three transfer windows. Or, you know, yeah, I like I like that league. That's that's uh that's that's that extended Africa right there. You know? <laughs> and hey, that's true. Yeah. That's true. It's time to tell, it's the time for tell to tell the folks to come home. You know, <laughs> that's, that's a whole other podcast. Yeah. <laughs> but yo, Mo, thank you so much for joining the podcast. We really appreciate. Uh, you know, you taking the time. You know, for the fans that want to tap in, uh, where can they find you? Uh, first of all, yeah, no, I appreciate you guys having me on. I was, I was when I saw you guys announce the podcast. I thought, okay, I'm probably gonna be, you know, first guest or something. Yeah, I had to wait. I had to bide my time. It's all good. No, no hard feelings. I, you know, we wanted to make sure we was properly adequate in the podcast and realm. You know, before we got nah, you on. Nah, it's all good. It's all good. I appreciate you guys uh, having me on. It's been fun. Where can they find me? Uh, social media, uh, Instagram, Twitter, um, at Maurice Adu. Uh, this, if they, if you want, if you watching TV this weekend, I'll be on this weekend. Like I said, doing tomorrow uh, uh, Liga MX game Tijuana versus Monterrey. Saturday, I'll be in studio. We're doing Orlando City at Atlanta, and then on Sunday, El Tráfico, LAFC. LA Galaxy should be a good one. Perfect. Yeah, Hard, sure. Hardest working man in American soccer right there. Respect. Trying yeah, to be. Someone. Trying to be. <laughs> yeah. And we need someone to tell me. We need Mo to get his own little show or segment or something, man. Mo, Mo's notes or something. It's coming, bro. I got, you know, I got a lot of ideas, man. I got to just, uh, you know, I got a lot of ideas. I got to bring them to fruition, though. But it's, it's yeah, we, we're working. We're working over here. Shit, well, you know, we got space for you at Two Cents FC. So that's our yes, show sir. for this week. Subscribe, rate, and review. It helps us get discovered. 
Follow us on the socials at Two Cents FC. Check out our merch at Two Cents Sports Shop. Els rocking some of it right now. I need to get mine ASAP. Uh, it helps <laughs> the show as well. Uh, tweet us your comments on the show and any topics you want me or El to discuss. Uh, we really appreciate you guys sending in questions for Mo this week. Great questions. Keep them coming. Uh, yeah, that's it. Peace. Peace. Thank you.